0: You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit providencetx.org. Wandering in the Wilderness. Today we're going to be in Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. And you can go ahead and turn your Bibles there. If you do not own a Bible, that is okay. There should be a Bible somewhere underneath the seat around you. If you don't own a Bible, again, you can take that with you. That is a gift from us to you because, again, we value the Scriptures so highly. But if you are able today, go ahead and stand with me uh, for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Providence, hear the word of the Lord. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all may be seated.
1: All right, well, good morning.
0: Hope you guys are
1: doing doing well today. My name is Corey. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, if you are a guest with us this morning, I want to thank you for making this a part of your week and welcome you into worship with us here. Our hope for you is really what our hope is for everyone that that comes in and comes through here is that during your time, you will see that we make much of Christ and, and you'll want to join with us in that, right? Linking arms and covenant membership. And as we press out, you know, you'll see it all over the building as we press out, attempting, trying to make the gospel unignorable in, in our community. So, um, as Scott has told us, we're going to be jumping right back into the book of Exodus this morning after a, a two-week break kicking off a summer series that we're calling the Mountain of God. And what we're going to do is, is take the nation of Israel from where we see here in chapter 16 in the wilderness all the way to uh, God's giving of the law at Mount Sinai, right? What, what, we're, what we're trying to pull out of this text, we're trying to, to accurately portray during this this particular part of the series is how the law that God gives, how that law is fulfilled in Christ, but also how Christians today and current day should react to that law, even though it's been given and even though we also know that it's been been fulfilled in Christ. So I'm really looking forward to, to the work we're going to do here. And for the sake of time, because I went way long during the first service, Brendan almost threw a rock at me from the back of the room. So I'm going to skip a lot of this intro stuff and just say, if you hadn't been with us podcast is there it'll catch you up quickly and I'm going to pray for us and then we'll jump right into verse 1 in chapter 16. Lord we we thank you for for the opportunity to gather here this morning God we thank you uh, that you have placed each and every one of us here not by accident God but by your will uh, that we can rest in that and we can we can be confident in that God that we know that you have brought us here this morning to commune with you Father and I pray that you would that you would do that, Lord, that you would open hearts and minds, God, that through through the opening of your word and the reading of your scriptures, God, that we might be made more like you, that we may be brought closer to you, Father, Lord, that we may live our lives in a way that that glorifies you and sees other people come to know you. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so like I said, jumping right in at verse number one, Exodus chapter 16, Uh, verse one says this, they set out from Elim and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So three weeks ago, the last time that we were in the book of Exodus, uh, court preached through the back half of chapter 15. And what we we saw in there was uh, this, this story where the Israelites have come. They've come to a place called Marah and uh, they're there and they're thirsty, right? They, they don't have water. They're looking for water and they, they come upon water in Marah, but the water is bitter and it's, it's not fit for drinking for them. And, and Mo, they, they begin to grumble, right? And this will be the theme of everything we talk about today. There will be this, there's this grumbling that goes on amongst the, the Israelites there and they, they come back and they bring their complaints to Moses and Moses goes to the Lord and Scripture says that the Lord shows him a log, and Moses picks it up, throws it into the water, and the water became sweet and fit for drinking. So that's where we are in this moment as we see them in chapter 16. And, And from there, once the water thing has happened, At Elim, um, we see actually back up in chapter 15 in Elim, I want to make sure I point this out. After that happens with the water and the water is made sweet and the water is made fit for drinking, it tells us that they came to Elim where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they camped there by the water. So by God's hand, the Israelites have gone from not just being brought out of slavery in Egypt. We saw the scene at the Red Sea where where the Lord parts the sea and the the Israelites go through and then he closes it on the Egyptians and in essence frees them from their captor. We've seen those things. Now they've come, they have been um, this scene where, where this water is miraculously made fit for drinking for them. And then on the back end of, the, of that, God takes them to a place where scripture tells us there were 12 springs of water, so copious amounts of water for them in order to quench their thirst, as well as 70 palm trees. So God just throws some shade in there for, uh, for, for extra credit, I guess. So it's got, it's this, what I'm trying to point out is this picture of God consistently over and over again, providing for his people. And if all of that weren't enough for them, what we see in Numbers chapter 33, verses 10 and 11 is this. I'll read it to you. It says, And they set out from Elim, encamped by the Red Sea, And they set out from the Red Sea and camped in the wilderness of Sin. So between the Sin at Elim with the, that rhymes, the Sin at Elim, with the 12 springs of water and the 70 palm trees and arriving in the wilderness of Sin, we're getting into what we're going to talk about this morning. There's this moment that no context is given. We're just told that God leads them back by the Red Sea and sets them down there and has them camp there for a while before they continue on into the wilderness. It's almost as though God, like I said, over and over again is proving his faithfulness and then he's bringing them back to the Red Sea and they sit there and they camp and I can't help but imagine that they told stories and reminded one another of the miracle they had seen happen when they were there the first time, right? So this this is the Lord continually ensuring over and over again that his faithfulness to his people is kept in the forefront of their mind before he sends them back out into the wilderness for, for what we're going to see here. Look at verses 2 and 3 in chapter 16. It says, And while the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So they are, end of verse one, it tells us that they traveled, every one of them. And I think it's important to remember that this wasn't just a handful of people. This was thousands and thousands of people. Depending on who you read, depending on what um, you know, resources you use from, for study, that number's quoted anywhere between 55,000 and 600,000. I've been very open with you guys. I am no scholar and I don't claim to be, so I'm not even gonna act like I know how many. I just know it's a bunch. Like in my world, that's a bunch of people. So there's all of these people. Verse 1 tells us that they travel, they get to scene, they get there, and when they get there, they begin to grumble because they don't have any food, because they're hungry. The end of verse 1 tells us that they were a month, uh, one and a half months into their journey when they arrived in the wilderness and seen. And when they got there, there was no food, there was nothing for them to eat, and they began to grumble. The entire, Scripture says, the entire congregation of Israel was grumbling against Moses and Aaron in this moment. So all of those thousands and thousands of people grumbling, 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 because they are hungry there. Now remember, remember what just happened to them in chapter 15 that we talked about a while ago despite the fact that they've seen the miracle with the water, despite the fact that they've seen the Red Sea parted, they've seen themselves be, uh, be brought out of that by the hand of God, and despite all of the other things that God has done for them up to this point, they still continue to grumble when things get tough. And here's the thing, I can remember being younger, a younger believer especially, and reading this type of stuff and thinking, how in the world can they be so ignorant that they don't even realize that, uh, that the Lord's been providing for them and, and they're already grumbling again? Like, that just seems so, um, so ignorant of them to do that. And as I've gotten older and, and probably uh, more mature and a little less prideful, I, I've been able to be introspective and realize that, uh, that, that that's what I do. I, I would venture to say that that's what a lot of us in here do, despite the faithfulness of God and the continual over and over again, God proving that he's faithful and caring for us and, and doing the things that he does to, to, to save us and, and love us and prosper us, we can find ourselves grumbling over some of the most insignificant things. And it happens to us often. And whether that's, whether that's finances, right, whether it's trouble at work, whether you've got trouble in your marriage or, or with your kids or even things that are less consequential than that, we often forget about the faithfulness of God and we grumble when things are not going the way we expect them to go. And this generation, at the time that we live in now, this gets amplified significantly because social media exists. I, I can remember a time when social media didn't exist, and if you wanted to gripe, you can only gripe to your uh, you know, friend circle. And at that time, I was... In college, my parents or my friends. That was it. That was literally the extent of my influence at that time was here. And now we carry devices in our pockets that allows us to at least think that we can complain and grumble to millions of people every time we press send, right? That has amplified this issue for us significantly. And there's no shortage of people out there doing that all the time. And not only is that something that's, that's going out, but we have become consistent consumers of the grumbling. We are consuming the consistent grumbling that's going on because the information is so readily available, and in doing so, our hearts are being eroded. We'll talk more about that as as we move forward. If you don't believe that that's true when you get home, if you have a Facebook, pull it up. Don't do it now because we're in church, but um, pull it up and just go to your neighborhood Facebook page. I'd almost bet you lunch that within the first five posts, somebody's complaining. Somebody's complaining all the time. Like, ours is such entertainment for me. It's, like, tell the Jeep that's going down East Fairway Oaks Road. And I'm like, this is crazy. People are just constantly complaining over and over and over again. And Twitter, Twitter is even worse than that. And, and here's the thing. We can, here's what's interesting. This would be um, significantly easier to deal with if when I looked at it and, and I really, really began to see what was going on, it was just the secular world. That was conducting themselves in this way, but in reality, um, we don't just see it in the secular world. We also see it in in with people that claim to know Christ, right? Consistently, churches and, and denominations and and you know people that sit in the same room, worship in the same room, will tear each other apart on social media over some of the most insignificant disagreements. Consistently, because that that nature of grumbling is just. In our nature, and I saw some of this yesterday, and I don't want to dive too deeply into this, but I do want to be faithful to mention it. I, I'm sure that by now the vast majority of us in this room have heard about the, the tragic mass shooting that there was in Buffalo, New York yesterday. This is a, a tragedy that is clearly perpetuated by hate from the shooter, um, hate that that by all accounts from the things that I've seen and read and have been reported is, is rooted in, in racism, right? Like this is, this is a real thing that happened and it happened yesterday and it's awful, awful. And within an hour of it happening, I pull social media up and I go to my favorite place to watch people gripe, which is Southern Baptist Convention Twitter. And if you know me, I'm a deep, deep, deep Southern Baptist, but these people are embarrassing sometimes. And here's what I see. And here's the, here's what I wanna, this is the point I wanna make with this. Here's what I see immediately within hours of something like this happening. People that claim Christ, people that claim to be leaders in churches, people that claim to be out evangelizing and spreading the gospel, doing all these things for the name of the Lord have skipped right over the fact that these types of incidents are rooted in sin and evil because we do have an enemy and they've gone straight to policy Immediately they go straight to the political side of these arguments and they begin to grumble about this leader or that leader or this law or that law and, or this pastor or that pastor and, you know, these folks are, are portraying it this way and these folks are portraying it the other way and I'm looking at it and I'm saying, what happened to the day that these types of things would happen and believers would be unified in the gospel around these tragedies? Guys, these things, these things are real. And they, they really happen, and they, they don't happen because of policy, which, let me, let me stop for a second. I do believe that those discussions are fruitful right? Long term, they're fruitful because we do have to do things to try to stymie some of this, this evil activity. But what I say for the believer, if your initial reaction is to go immediately to policy and not go to the love of Christ and the gospel and the root of that being a sin problem because we know that to be true, then you are off base with that argument as a believer. And I pray that this morning that the, we are not off base, that regardless of how we disagree on policy, we can unify around the fact that we have a common enemy that wants to destroy us, but yet we hold the keys and the knowledge of the one who has already destroyed that enemy. We do. We have that every day, and I pray that we, that we are living in that. It's in that vein that we get back to Israel here in chapter 16, and, and catch what the text says about their grumbling. It says their grumbling is pointed at Moses and Aaron rather than God. So we begin to see this this theme being created around the Israelites, whether it's grumbling about the water or whether it's grumbling about food or no matter how many times over and over again, God delivers them every single time they find themselves in a tough situation. They don't run to God for help, but they react as though Moses and Aaron are their issues, even though Moses and Aaron had done nothing but be faithful and obedient to God to this point. And what they're missing here, and what I, hope, I think sometimes we're missing, myself included in that, is that God has, has taken them and he has led them into these difficult situations so that he may display his graciousness, his glory, and his faithfulness and his love for them by delivering them from those things. But rather than, rather than see that or have faith in the fact that that is how God's operating, what we see is Israelites become convinced that their issue is is poor leadership. And then in verse 3, we see, see grum, the grumbling hit its peak. It's, verse 3 says, And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So this grumbling amongst the thousands and thousands in the congregation of Israel has become so intense and so all-encompassing that the elders of Israel have to step out, they have to go address Moses, they have to go address Aaron, and they have to talk about it. And this is what they say to him. They say, we would have rather been killed by God in Egypt because at least there we weren't hungry. You, Moses, have drugged us into the wilderness to allow us to die of hunger and I read that and I ask myself, how how does that happen? Like how how do we get to the point where this is even a reasonable thought for them? Do they not remember the oppression they were under in Egypt? Do they not remember how badly they desired to leave Egypt? Do they not remember the atrocities that, that took place in Egypt? And and when I was looking through and kind of studying and getting ready for today, I ran across an article uh, written by Tim Keller regarding this text. And in that article, he calls this exact moment, that the statement that they make, he calls that the language of addiction. It's going to come up. I've got an excerpt from the article I want to read. It's going to come up behind me, but I'll read it here off the paper. This is from Tim Keller. It says, what you see in verse three is very important. It's the language of addiction it's the language of denial. When they were actually in Egypt, when they were actually under the lash, they hated it. They cried out against it. They were miserable. And now they're out of there. And yet you see when they, when, the thing, when they think back about Egypt, they remember it fondly. They think of it as something good. They think of it as something desirable. They think of it as something they wouldn't mind going back to. That's the language of addiction. And they're still addicted. When you think back into your addiction, when you think back into that situation with the delusional thinking that screens out all misery and says that really wasn't so bad, even though they were technically out of slavery, in their hearts internally, in their spirits, they were still slaves. So what Keller's getting at here is, is this understanding that we have and that we know is true for them also, is that every person that's born into this world comes in and begins with a wretched and depraved heart that desires the things of this world more than it desires the things of God. And in essence, as the Israelites were addicted to their slavery in Egypt, we also are addicted to our slavery. While they were slaves to Egypt, we are slaves to sin. And we will often find ourselves over and over again going back to that which we desire to flee from because we forget in our addiction, we forget how much better our life is beyond that sin and communion with God. And we go back to think, and we, we think, man, if we, it, it'll be fine. It'll just be better. We'll just revert and things will be okay. And those of us who have been saved, those of us who have been changed through the work of the Holy Spirit, we understand that those depraved hearts that we have at the time of salvation begin to soften and we begin to desire the things of God more and more. That's a process called sanctification. But unfortunately, even though incredible progress is made in the believer, there's still a part of us that will always try to drag us back to that sin that we know will kill us. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's important to point out here that, that the Israelites weren't immune to that. And that's what we're seeing illustrated here uh, through the desire and through the statement that, Hey man, I wish God would have just killed us in Egypt because at least in Egypt, we had the opportunity to eat. Here's another thing that that I thought was was interesting in the text here. It says, "It's it's also important here in the text that we would be able to point out and understand that when this happened to the Israelites, as they got to this point where the grumbling became so bad that they felt like Egypt was maybe a better option for them, they weren't doing that alone right, that grumbling wasn't happening in isolation with them just kind of grumbling to themselves and thinking through it. They were surrounded by thousands and thousands of other people that had also witnessed the faithfulness of God, that were also believers, but yet all of them fell to the grumbling and there was no, there was no one in that group that we know about in scripture that was reminding everyone of how good God had been to that point. It wasn't happening. And, and we see this, we see this happen often that when trouble comes, they choose to grumble, they chose to grumble to one another and focus on the hardship rather than remind each other of the goodness of God, and I think this is something that we see happen quite often, right? Even as Christians today, when, when Christians commiserate with one another in times of frustration and anger, anger rather than reminding one another of God's purposes and the victory we have in Christ, we actually aid—we actually aid in pushing our brother and sisters further into their sin addiction. We actually aid in helping them go further down that road rather than being the one there that is working to help them escape. Um, this, is, this resonates so much with me because it wasn't that long ago, wasn't that long ago for me that I, I thought there was, there was a time that, that I, would, I would never never be back up here again. And honestly, if, if you've talked to me and I'm, I'm open with you guys as much as I can be all the time, um, I, I was actually pretty sure that I, I wanted it that way. Right, You see, nothing egregious had happened in my life. No, no major sin had, had taken place. But I, I found myself in a spot where I was, I was overwhelmed with life in general, just my, just my what we would call it work base business or just my base life that I have to live. I can't, can't not live it. And on top of that, there was this overwhelming pressure that at that time was coming with doing ministry here because we were in a very, very trying time for our church, something that, that we had never walked through before as a church. And, and by God's grace, we won't walk through again in the future. And, and it was during it was during that time that I began to feel my heart drift back to what I've told you guys for years and years and years is my primary bend. My internal wiring is toward isolation for me. I am not a guy that just naturally enjoys being around people. I, I I seem very extroverted, and honestly I, I am, but I'm really not. Like I'm, I'm actually I would prefer to be introverted and stay home. I, I told the, the first service I'm the kind of guy who could have his family and his dad is a best friend and nothing else and never think two things about it. Just going about my business. That, that's just the way that I'm wired and, and in this this moment I, I had found over the over the years that I knew that was I knew that was my tendency. I knew that wasn't God's design for me. I knew it wasn't the the best way for, for me, and I had warred against that for years, but as, as the pressures became more and more and things were happening around me all the time, I began to feel this desire to drift back into this etern- complete isolation away from, away from everyone and everything in order to just, at the end of the day, probably self-preserve. I remember having these thoughts. I said, man, I can, I can do all these things. I can be a good guy. I can be a good father. I can be a good husband, but I, I can be free from all this other responsibility. I can be free from all this other pressure, and that's really what I want. I sat in a, I sat in an elder meeting right in there, and um, I feel like I said it 100 times, but the, really the only words that I could make, as I was trying to explain this to the guys, the only words I could say over and over again were, I just, I just want to be normal. I just want to be normal. And I knew what I meant. I don't think they knew what I meant. I think they were looking at me like I'd lost my mind. But I kept saying that over and over again, and I remember – Sitting with court one night, we were in his barn, hanging out in the middle of all of this when it was at its at its um, most intense and I told him a story that at the time I felt had become prophetic in, in my own life and it was a story from back um, Lee and I think were newly married, and we had we had moved to a new church in order to be uh, do youth ministry just a little bit east of here at a smaller church in a smaller town and uh as you know we didn't grow up in that church so I didn't know anything about the history I didn't know, know a ton that was going on there but as I started learning there was this name this name of this man that kept coming up and it was on it was on documents it was on like um the the early when they signed their bylaws and stuff this guy had signed all of the church history had this guy's name on it it wasn't a super long history but it was it was all on he was in in the middle of all of it but I didn't know who he was. I hadn't met him. I hadn't seen him. What I ended up figuring out was that I had two girls in our youth group that had the same last name as this guy. So I started asking some questions, like, what, what's the story here? Because um, I ended up finding out that those were his daughters, that his wife was still there, and that when the church w- w- was planted, he was an associate pastor on staff with that church. And that's why his name was so, you know, over everything. And I don't exactly know what happened with him, but the story that I was told, that the, there was just a day that came And he was just gone. He was gone. He hadn't been back. He hadn't been around. His family was there. He wasn't there. So there's all this history of him, you know, being so influential and used by God to start that ministry. And then one day it just ends. And I told Court, I said, uh, I looked at him across the barn and I said, I think that's going to be my story. And I was dead serious when I said that. I think that's going to be me. And, uh, you know, praise God, it's not. Right. And what I what I did at that time is I was I was desiring, you know, isolation and quiet and being away from people more than than I had in in a long time. And what I didn't recognize that even in the midst of that, even in the midst of that storm, God was building a community around me that I didn't even realize he was building until one day I looked up and said, wow, this is this is pretty cool. Like God, I didn't, I didn't go looking for community and go looking to find it. God put it, put it around me. He, he provided that for me. He, he gave me that in that moment of need. So, so when I read this and I ask, ma'am, how do these people go from a to better to die in Egypt than be hungry in that short amount of time? I think this is part of the answer. It's part of the answer that that even though they had all of these people around them that knew the faithfulness of God that had seen what they had seen that 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 believed along with them they were taken and taken to grumbling more so than they were reminded by those around them of the faithfulness of God and I believe for us today we must now more than ever Christian hear me on this we must now more than ever be fiercely dedicated to knowing and being known by other believers who want nothing more than to point you to Christ. because We, we, we no longer live, you know, I'm a small town USA guy from Texas. Like I, I say this because this is how I grew up. We no longer live in a culture that will funnel you into the church just by its very nature it doesn't exist when I grew up it did everybody I knew got rolled out of bed on Sunday morning by their mama whether they wanted to go or not and went to church and 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 thank you know thankful for that because a lot of us heard the gospel and a lot of us are believers now because of that we don't live in that space anymore so if you're an adult that that is floating and you're isolated and you're alone and you're struggling I mean you're trying to find an off-ramp from the faith if you are not Dedicated, and you do not know people that also know you that are willing to intersect and, and and preach the truth to you when you are believing a lie. You are in danger right now, and if you're looking, if you find yourself looking for an off road from the faith, trust me on this. It has never been easier to find one than right now. As a matter of fact, I was talking earlier about that Southern Baptist Twitter stuff. You can find off roads. From the faith in the church in some places, based on some of the stuff I'm reading. It's everywhere. You must have people around you that know you. You must have people around you that know Christ. You must have people around you that are comfortable enough to come and intersect that nonsense when it begins to come out. And if you don't have that, you find yourself like, like the Israelites, sometimes thinking, hey, it may be better to just die in Egypt because at least, you know, at least there we weren't hungry, right? Moving on, verses four and five, chapter 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it'll be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses takes the complaints of the people and he takes those back to the Lord as he had done earlier in chapter 15. And the Lord answers in an incredible way. He says to him, I'm about to make, bread rained down from heaven. I got to think that at some level, that's not the answer that Moses was expecting. Like that's, it's a very unorthodox answer. Back in chapter 15 with the water, at least there was water there, right? There was a body of water. It wasn't good for drinking, but it was there at some level. So that while that's miraculous, you know, it's a little easier to to swallow than the idea that bread's just going to begin falling from the sky. But that's, that's exactly what God intended to do. That's exactly what he intended to do. And he once again, intended to, despite grumbling and faithlessness on the part of Israel, he intended to sustain them with another miracle that he's now giving, he's telling Moses about uh, as Moses is is taking the people's complaints to God. But here's the thing that's different about this one. There's instructions attached to this one. God tells him that that even though there would be an incredible amount of bread provided, that they were instructed to only gather a day's portion at a time and, and two days portion on the sixth day because in the middle of this physical uh, provision of food God, God is also uh, ensuring that they observe the Sabbath so they'll also be provided with rest I think that's an interesting nugget that you find in it that you can you can skip pretty quickly but there there's there's god's provision even in the places where we don't think we're seeing god's provision and this this seems these these extra instructions these extra um Extra requirements might seem a bit unusual or unnecessary at that time, but you got to catch what God says in verse 4 here in chapter 16. He says that he's doing that, that I may test them whether they walk in my law or not. And this is a repeat of another thing that we saw in chapter 15. It's going to come up behind me. Look at Exodus 15, verses 25 and 26. And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statue and a, rule, a and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, "If you will diligent, if you diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and you do what is right in His eyes, and give ear to His commandments, and keep all His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer." So he says, "You must listen to the Lord. You must do what's right in His eyes. Listen to His commandments. Keep His statutes." And if you do that, that will be your test. And if you do that, you'll be spared the same fate as the Egyptians. Now, does God think that it's even possible that they could do those things? No, he doesn't. Not in any way. He's not testing them to prove that they could because he already knew that they couldn't. But he's testing them in order to train their hearts. And that's what we say. When we say that over the next several weeks as we go through this, take you know, working our way to Mount Sinai where the law is given, we want to show, we want to be clear that we're, we're showing God's character in this and also how Christians today, us, are, 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 are supposed to live in relation to that law. And we see that here. What God knew that the Israelites didn't know at this time was that he was soon to give his covenant to Moses at Mount Sinai. And this was a test to see if their hearts would be inclined to be his covenant people. Would their hearts be inclined to be his covenant people? And remember, like I said, the Israelites had just left Egypt, right? They they were one and a half months out of Egypt, and they had run out of food. So when endless amounts of bread begin to rain down from heaven, my assumption is that their inclination would be to store up as much as they could in order to be prepared for the next time that they run out of food. But God said, no, don't do that. Only take what you need for the day. Leave the rest there and come back every day, and I will continually provide for you over and over and over again. You see, God was going was to give them more than they, they could ever gather. He was going to provide that. But what he wanted, he wanted them to come back every day because in doing so, he would be teaching them the most important lesson that they or, frankly, us, any believer, could ever learn, and that's to trust God every day, day after day, for provision, no matter how bleak things may seem, every single day. We must go back and trust God in those scenarios. And it's, it's this lesson that would create a heart in them and a heart in us that is inclined to be God's covenant people as we learn to rely on him daily. Verses 6 through 8, chapter 16. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, "'At evening you shall know that it was the Lord "'who brought you out of the land of Egypt. "'And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord "'because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord.' For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. So after hearing from the Lord, Moses and Aaron go back to the people to address the situation, to give them some follow-ups from their big meeting uh, with God after after their complaints had been heard. And and God comes in, they're they're going to address the situation, and God makes it clear to Moses and Aaron that the message they must take back to the Israelites is to remind them that God is the one who brought the Israelites out of Egypt and also tell them that God is about to prove to them that he is who he says he is. You see, the grumbling at Moses and Aaron shows in some way that although Israel knew the power displayed in those situations was from God, they also believed that Moses and Aaron were somehow responsible for their freedom. Therefore, they believed Moses and Aaron could somehow fix their issues if they complained to them directly. God was not interested in that being the case. He wanted them to know that he, he was the one that was sustaining them. And in court's going to lead us to the second half of chapter 16 next week, so I don't want to get too much into what's going on after this, but I will say this. God's soon going to show them his glory. He's soon going to bring them provision they can't fathom, and in doing so, Moses and Aaron will not lift a finger during this. And that's, that's, if you think about it, if you think about what I just said, it seems like, yeah, well, duh, Moses and Aaron won't lift a finger. That's pretty normal. It's interesting to you. It, it, seems, it seems that it's pretty routine until you think back to everything that's happened to this point. So each plague that God sent on the Egyptians, everything that we've seen to this point was announced by Moses, and most of those plagues um, required some sort of action from Moses, right? Whether that's a raising of his hands or whether it's one where they, they take soot from the kiln and they throw it into the air. Like, there was always this really necessary part of each one of those things, at least from the Israelites' perspective, that this action that was performed by Moses and or Aaron. See, the water at Marah became sweet when Moses picked up a log and threw into it. But this time, God's going to accomplish what needs to be accomplished without any participation from them. And in doing so, he will reveal his glory to all of them. Israelites, Moses and Aaron included in that moment. I want you to hear me on this, guys. The, the provision of God, the salvation offered to us in Christ, those things are not and will never be contingent on anything that we do or anything somebody else does. It's ours because the gracious God chose to save us from our rebellion through the sacrifice of Christ. And here's the thing, like we talked about earlier, no matter how many times we go back to that rebellion, no matter how many times we desire to go back to that rebellion, the provision and the salvation of God provided for us in Christ remains. It remains. I'm gonna start wrapping up with this. In John chapter 6, Jesus has uh, he's just fed the 5,000. He's multiplied five loaves and, and two, um, two fish that he got from a little boy. He's fed 5,000 people with it. He, he walks on water. And the scripture tells us the next day he's speaking to the crowd. And, and that's where we see uh, what goes on in verses 31 through 35. So I want to read that to us. Our fathers are the man in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them truly truly I say to you it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven but my father gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world they said to him sir give us this bread always and Jesus said to them I am the bread of life whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst just like the Israelites we we are wholly dependent On God for survival. But in John chapter 6, it's clear from the words of Jesus that what is being offered to us is so much better than food. What's being offered to us to fill our longing and our need is so much better than bread. Jesus says that what's being offered is true bread from heaven. And then he says, He is the bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. We, those of us who know Christ, we we serve, we serve a God. We have a king that that satisfies all of our desires. Those of you who don't know Christ, there is an opportunity. Jesus will satisfy all of your desires, no matter what you think they are, no matter what you think you have going on. As we see in the scripture in 16, there are no prerequisites for that from you. There's nothing that says, hey, you make sure you take the 1301 and 1302 before we can put you in the, you know, in the junior level classes. God doesn't deal with us that way. He comes and he saves us right where we are, right where we are. And that doesn't mean that immediately you're perfect and your struggles and your sin and the rebellion and those things go away. No, we know that it's a process, but we can be sure that the Holy Spirit is working that process in us as we go along. My hope today would be for those who, who are here that, that don't know Christ. God, I, I, I want you to know him today. I want you to, to choose him today. I want you to be saved. Leave here with the knowledge of your salvation um, that you may not have had When you came in today, those of us that do know Christ, that that may be longing, that may be hurting, that may be heartbroken or or, 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 or sick or or struggling or worrying or whatever it is, I want to remind you that the bread of life is yours. Already, sealed, yours. You can't get rid of it. He won't take it from you. Let him satisfy you. Let Jesus satisfy all of those longings, all of those needs, all of that worry, all of that concern. Put it on him and remember his faithfulness to you from the minute you were born, before you even knew it, up until today. God doesn't leave us or forsake us. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Lord, you're good, and we're, we're thankful that your your word is is timely, Jesus. We're thankful that that you've saved us, God. That you've offered us grace, Father. That you have. Been merciful with us, you have provided for us, Jesus. I, I pray, I pray this morning that 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 would resonate with each one of us, just like it in the ways that we see it not resonating with the Israelites. God, would you would you make it so for us? Would you make it resonate for us, God? Lord, I pray against whatever spirit of of this unity may be in this room. God, we live in a time where everything is is so segmented. Everything is so. Now uh, oh, there's just so much competition and things of that nature in the world. God, I pray that it would never be so here. That we could disagree on things, Lord. We could not see eye to eye, but we could all unify right in the middle on the gospel of Jesus, Lord, and let the other stuff work itself out. And let that be true for us. God, I pray that as we as we enter into a time of worship and a time of communion, that we would, we would just take time to reflect on your broken body, Lord. We take time to reflect on on the blood that you spilled on our behalf, God, and that in, in those things we would be reminded anew. We'd be reminded again who you are, and how faithful you are, and how good you are, and how much better it is to follow you than it is to go back to the vomit of this world. Jesus, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.